Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. What a great song to sort of lead into our study tonight because we are reminded as you go through the book of Judges that the book of Judges takes place in the dark days of Israel's history. The encouraging thing about that is that God is at work in the darkest days of Israel's history. Just like God may be in the at work and will be at work in the darkest days of our lives or in the life of our nation or whatever we're going through, God is always at work. And tonight we are introduced to probably the most famous judge, if you will, or deliverer that God raised up out of the book of Judges. His name is Samson. As soon as Manoah's wife in chapter 13 is told she will bear a son, she hears of his mission in verse 5. And he, emphatic, will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. I want to direct your attention real quickly to that fact about that word begin to deliver. There are times where God delivers all at once. There are times where God begins to deliver and delivers little by little. At this point in Israel's history, it was going to be a gradual deliverance, a coming out, if you will, rather than a just all of a sudden deliverance. But I want to talk about this for a moment. Samson, he is such an entertaining, break the mold, rollicking guy. That we can get sort of mesmerized by this guy, Samson, the the deliverer that God raised up, and forget about or have eclipsed the God who raised up that deliverer. And that's why when we come into these chapters that deal with Samson, obviously we're going to talk about Samson. But more than that, we're going to talk about the God behind Samson, the God who raised up the deliverer. Samson. We're going to develop the teaching of Judges chapter 13 tonight in terms of what God is doing here in Judges chapter 13. And the first thing I want you to see tonight in this passage is the grace that God maintains. Look at the first verse. And the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. That's all. And you may say, well, where's the grace of God in that? All I am reading here is that thing that I've been reading throughout the book of Judges, that the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. God disciplined them. Uh, Not much there. I don't see the grace of God there. Well, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 13, God begins to raise up a deliverer. And the thing that struck me was, Unlike the rest of the book of Judges, you don't find that Israel is crying out here. You know, if you go back to Judges chapter 1, when, when Israel was in trouble, when, when they were in the hands of a foreign people, when they were under uh, a, the power of their false gods or whatever, they would eventually get to the point where they would cry out to God multiple times throughout the book of Judges. And God would come down and, and He would send a deliverer. Here you don't find them crying out. Why is that? They're under the power of this false god Baal. They are under the the, the servitude to the Philistines. They're, They're a mess and yet they're not crying out and yet God is still going to 
deliver them. Because it shows the graciousness of our God. You see, this God was willing to deliver them even though they didn't cry out. He refused to allow them to stay in the grip of Baal and in the grip of the Philistines. Yet they had grown so used to the bondage. They had grown so used to the lifestyle. They were willing to settle for status quo. That's why they didn't cry out. It was almost like, this is just the way it's going to be. We, we just, we'll just stay this way. And God loved them too much and cared about them too much to allow them to stay in that condition. So in His grace, He was going to send them to deliver, even though they didn't ask Him to. This is grace greater than all their sin. This is grace greater than their stupidity, greater than their own density as a people of God. And it also reminds us as Christians about how gracious our God is. Listen, if God's help were only given when we prayed for it, only when we asked for it, only when we had sense enough to seek it, what paupers and peasants we would be. There are many times in our life where God is gracious to us and, and prevents something from happening or, or causes something not to happen or to happen. And, and we might not even acknowledge it or sense it, but it's because of God's grace. I, I think back through my life and I think we all have to get to the point as we walk with God where we acknowledge that there are times where God was extending his grace to me and I didn't even realize it. I, I didn't even know what I missed. I didn't know what he kept me from. Uh, I didn't ask for it. I didn't pray for it. I might not even know what I needed, but God in his grace was watching out for me and seeking my highest good and my very best. And that's the grace that God maintains throughout our lives. That's the grace that we see being maintained here with the children of Israel who were willing to just status quo it. We'll just... We'll just be servants to the Philistines the rest of our lives. We'll just stay under the power of Baal. We'll just stay the way things are. You know, many times we, we human beings are a strange lot. Even though sometimes we find ourselves in miserable circumstances, those miserable circumstances are familiar circumstances. They are sort of, we've grown comfortable in those miserable circumstances. And we don't want anybody, including God, to mess that up. It reminds me of the story in the New Testament where Jesus takes his disciples across the lake to the, to the region of the Gerasenes. And there are these men here who are possessed by demonic forces. And Jesus, because he's a gracious God, delivered them from the, from the demons that had inhabited their being. And, and you would think that the people around there would just be so thrilled that Jesus has come and, and that these men now have been delivered from, from these demons. You know what they did? They asked Jesus to leave. Because they didn't want the change that Jesus might bring if he stuck around. It's almost like they, they would rather have had it the old way because they knew once Jesus came... Yeah, there might be some changes coming, and, and they would ultimately be for good, but we don't want it. We, we like the way things are right now. That, that's the mentality of the Israelites here in Judges chapter 13. That's why for the very first time in the book of Judges, they're not crying out to God. And yet God in His grace is going to raise up a deliverer anyway. 
Well, that's where we start with the grace that God maintains. Notice the place God begins in verses 2 through 5 of Judges 13. We cannot help but notice here in this passage that the woman is both barren and anonymous. We don't even know her name. She is Manoah's wife and becomes Samson's mother. But her name is not given to us. To her sterility, the Bible has added obscurity. Notice, there was a man named Manoah from Zorah, from the Danite tribe. His wife was infertile and childless. The Lord's angelic messenger appeared to the woman and said to her, You are infertile and childless. Well, there's a revelation. I think she knew that. But I think the angelic messenger wanted her to know just how bad the situation was because he wanted to remind her about what he was going to do from that situation. But you will conceive and have a son. And he goes on to give her these other instructions. The thing that struck me about that is that this is often precisely where God begins. He begins in human obscurity and hopelessness to do a great work where there is no human energy or ability to even serve as a starter. I mean, when you're out in the, and you're camping or whatever and, you're, and you want to start a fire, you've got to have something to start it with. <laughs> there is nothing to start from here. And the Bible makes that completely clear to us. Here is an obscure woman in some remote village in the nation of Israel. She, like many people today, might feel like God doesn't know me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't know what I'm going through. And it's at that very moment where we feel most obscure that God can be that close to us. Because God is never far away from us. We may feel that he is. We may, you know, start looking at our circumstances and walking by sight rather than by faith. But God is always there and we are never obscure to Him and what we are going through is never obscure to Him. He's right there in the midst and middle of it. And He will begin at the place where there's hopelessness. Where there's absolutely no chance of anything seemingly coming out of that situation. Notice, Samson's birth is another instance of God's way of prefacing an exceptional work with exceptional difficulties. God often works that way. If you're going through exceptional difficulties right now, mark it down. God's going to do an exceptional work. He always prefaces great works with great difficulty for a couple of reasons. One, he wants to build our faith in him as the almighty God. The one who can bring deliverance and salvation out of nothingness. This pattern is throughout the Bible. It's why he went to Abraham and Sarah and said, I'll give you a son. Uh, yeah, you're past childbearing age and all of that, but nothing's too hard for me. I'm God. I specialize in those impossible situations. I, I'm the God who is the almighty God, and how can I manifest my almightiness if I don't work in situations like this? That's why many times in our life we do find that when we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God really begins to work. 
Because God has to wait for us to get through trying to fix it ourselves till we finally say, okay, God, I can't do anymore. I'm done. I'm it. That's it. It's over. You take it. And that's when God's like, good, finally, you're handing it over to me. Now I can do something about it. Because I, I want you to see how powerful and mighty I am and that I can bring something great out of nothing. That's why it was very important that this woman's name was never mentioned. Never is. We don't know what Samson's mother's name is. That doesn't mean God didn't know her name. That doesn't mean that God doesn't know her situation. Don't let the devil or anyone else ever tell you that God doesn't know exactly what you're going through. And don't begin to believe the lies that God doesn't care and that I'm obscure and that I'm just over here in this little corner of the world and I'm going through what I'm going through and God doesn't see, He doesn't notice, He doesn't care. There is no obscurity with our God. And God is an expert at bringing something out of nothing. You may be looking at your situation going, the difficulties... Humanly, it's impossible. There's nothing there. What can I do? And it's at that moment where God would say to Jeff Royce, Right, Jeff, there's nothing you can do. Now let me, the God of the impossible, the God that nothing is too hard for, let me take over and bring something out of nothing. That's the place where God often begins. The other reason why God does that is not just to strengthen our faith in this almighty God, There are times when we do have a contribution to make. There are other times with God's people where he refuses our help and will not allow us to add our touch. Instead, he brings his deliverance and relieves our distress in the face of impossible human odds. He displays his power precisely when and where we can contribute nothing, all in order to lift our eyes to him so that we will have no illusions or delusions about where our help came from. As if we get to a point where we said, you know what, I finally figured that out. No, one of the reasons why God works this way is so we look to Him and to Him alone, and where when we are delivered, we can acknowledge it was only by God that I was delivered. That's why, again, when you go through the Bible, you you find why does God sometimes back His own children into a corner? That's why he took his children, the Israelites, after he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt by Pharaoh to the Red Sea so that they had the Red Sea on this side and now the approaching Egyptian army from this side. And humanly, we're looking at that going, he backed them into a corner. There's no way out. Oh, wait a minute. My God can part the Red Sea. There is a way out where there seems to be no way with God. That's the place that God begins. That's why in the days when the Philistines ruled, God paid a visit to a nameless, childless woman in Judges chapter 13. Next, you'll notice the prayer that God hears. The prayer that God hears. Notice the Bible says down in verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, allow the man sent from God to visit us again so he can teach us how we should raise the child who will be born. Wouldn't every parent love that? Children don't come with a set of instructions necessarily. And I think when 
Manoah and his wife heard that this son was going to be a deliverer in Israel, it was like, wow. I mean, we're, we're just not raising some average child here. We, we need help. We need insight. And so Manoah prayed. Notice verse 9. God answered Manoah's prayer. And implied in that, obviously, is that God not only answered his prayer, he heard his prayer. Now, the reason why this stood out to me is because I think, like many Christians, we grow so accustomed to reading the Bible and even in our own lives that we fail to see the little miracle here. And that little miracle is that God hears and answers prayer. God heard the voice of Manoah. And we can read through our Bible and we can even pray to the Lord ourselves and sometimes it becomes so familiar that it no longer strikes us. Yet if you read the Psalms, the psalmist never took for granted that the God of the universe heard and answered their prayers. We may have relegated God's hearing our prayers to our, well, of course, category. But biblical prayers do not regard it ever as routine that God hears and answers prayer. That's why maybe prayer is like garbage. Now, I didn't say prayer was garbage. I said maybe prayer is like garbage. Man, what's he been doing the last couple of weeks? Now listen to me. Garbage is a sign of provision. Potato peelings, apple cores, and squash seeds are silent witnesses to all of us when we take out our garbage that God our Father is feeding us and providing for us. So that tedious detail of taking out the garbage that maybe many of us don't like or whatever, don't find anything striking in, should too the person who's looking to God to provide, be a constant, continual reminder, thank you, God, because all this garbage that I'm taking out is also a symbol and sign that you have provided for me in all of that garbage. See, garbage is not to be a tedious detail, but a divine blessing. And we can miss that because it can become so routine. I guess our problem is that we don't think biblically about garbage. When God listens to the voice of Manoah or to our voice, we should never respond with a yawn. We will trivialize prayer whenever we forget the repeated miracle it involves. The gracious condescension of the King of glory who stoops down to listen to our verbs and nouns and adverbs and questions and groans and tears. And we should never get over the wonder That the God of the universe, who keeps the universe going and sustains it and created it. Again, no one in this universe is obscure with God. And He hears everything that we pray to Him. And He hears those prayers and He answers those prayers. See what God is doing? He's showering His grace, which He does in our lives. He's beginning at a place of obscurity and hopelessness, which many times he does in our lives. 
because he prefaces great works with great difficulties. And he's hearing and answering prayer. Notice, though, next in the passage, the limits that God imposes. When the angel of the Lord appeared again, down there in verse 9, Manoah's wife is like, man, i got to get my husband out here. And so Manoah began to ask questions in verse 11 to this heavenly visitor. And he starts by asking if if the visitor would, would be willing for him to honor him with an elaborate meal, verse 15. Manoah said to the Lord's messenger, please stay here a while so we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. Notice the offer is declined. If, however, Manoah wants to offer a burnt offering, he must offer it to God. Manoah tries again. What is the guest's name? For when your prediction comes true, we want to give you proper recognition, verse 17. The angel of the Lord says, verse 18, you couldn't comprehend it if I told it to you. It is wonderful. You see, folks, here are the limits God imposes. The angel of the Lord is basically reminding Manoah and us, my character, my nature is too much. It is beyond you. You simply can't take it all in. Manoah's second request is refused. The name is never given. Manoah must stay within certain bounds, but he must abide within stipulated limits. His visitor, though he does not yet realize it, is far more than he can take in. In fact, you'll notice there, in verse 19, Manoah took the offering. And the Bible says in verse 20, As the flame went up from the altar toward the sky, the Lord's messenger went up in it, while Manoah and his wife watched, and they fell face down to the ground. We still stand to a large degree in Manoah's situation. There is a mystery, a depth, a surpassingness about God that we can never fathom, comprehend, or touch. This does not mean that we cannot know God. It simply means that though we may know God truly, we do not know Him exhaustively. He has given us sufficient but not complete knowledge of himself. As I like to share with people, God has given us the answers to the questions that we need to know in the Bible, but not all the answers to the questions that we want to know. And sometimes God chooses not to give answers because if he gave us the answer that he needed to give to us, we couldn't comprehend it anyway. There are still limits imposed. We do not have total knowledge of his character and ways. And all of this should lead God's people to a genuine humility. And yet, a humility that drives us to this great God that is too big for us to comprehend, a God that's way too big for us to try to put in our own little box, Because it is this great God that we in no way can comprehend totally. And 
is surpassing of all that we can take in. And yet it is this God that we can go to at any time and seek His help. And find His grace and His strength. And find His truth and His promises to be able to navigate and deal with everything that life could bring my way. Because however big life gets, it can never get bigger than God. And that is one of the reasons why God reminds us in the Bible of just how big He is and the limits that He imposes. Don't forget this verse in the coming week. It may come in handy. That verse back up in chapter 13, verse 18, where Manoah asked, tell us your name. And the Lord's messenger said to him, you should not ask me my name because you cannot comprehend it. It is wonderful. It is beyond human comprehension. Notice then the reverence that God's presence and power arouses. We must allow Manoah to be our teacher in verse 22. For Manoah said to his wife, we will certainly die because we have seen a supernatural being. He finally gets that the angelic messenger was no just mere angel. It was God himself who came to give this announcement to Manoah and his wife. And we need to always reverence and respect God. So many times in our culture, in trying to bring God down to a comfortable level, we can sometimes get too comfortable with God that we lose that reverence and respect for who God is. Yet, yet... Side by side with the reverence expressed by Manoah stands the comfort declared by his wife in verse 23. I love what she says. Because she balances him out. Because his wife said to him, If the Lord wanted to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from us. And he would not have shown us all these things or have spoken to us like this just now. You see, surely his wife reasons, God does not mean to consume us, but to preserve us. He has a job for us to do. It's to raise a deliverer that's coming to Israel, whose name is Samson. And Manoah is like a lot of Christians or people in the church. They have a reverence for God, but they don't have the comfort. They have the respect for God, but not the joy. And we need to develop a properly balanced response To the presence of God. Believers easily err to extremes in this matter on one side or the other. You have Christians over here who are, I mean, they maybe reverence and respect God, but they're so afraid of God and and they feel like if they just do the wrong thing, man, God's just going to whack them. and, And they live their whole lives in just terrible, unhealthy, unholy fear of God. Well, they may have reverence and respect, but there's no balance for that. Then over here, you may have the other extreme, as I said, where you have somebody that just treats God like the big Santa Claus in heaven and, and, and really doesn't reverence or respect God at all. And they're so comfortable with God that they've lost that reverence and respect. I think the Bible clearly teaches us 
and especially tonight in this very passage by using Manoah and his wife, that we have to have a balanced view of God. Yes, we always need to reverence and respect God, but we also, as his children, he wants us to be comfortable. He doesn't want us to live in an unhealthy, unholy fear of him. He wants us to understand and come to understand that he has our very best interest at heart. And he is a gracious God and a good God. And we don't need to live our lives in that state of unholy fear. Therefore, we must allow Manoah's wife to teach us. And she would want us to realize that even when he overwhelms us, with all inspiring glimpses of his majesty. It is not in order to destroy us or to discourage us. It's to assure us of his power and his desire to deliver us. It's almost like he wants to give us those glimpses to show us, yeah, I'm the God who's behind you. I'm the God that Paul talks about. If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm the God that Paul talked about it. Nothing can separate me from the love of this God. And I am here to come down to you, to deliver you from whatever is holding you back, from keeping you from being all that I created you to be. It is those glimpses. That's why Jesus, when he took his three disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he unveiled his glory for just a second and and they saw that glimpse of glory, it was actually to be a comfort to them. To say, look, what you're going to experience in the next 24 to 48 hours is going to be pretty hard if you don't keep realizing and refocusing on the fact that I am the Lord of glory. Because tomorrow you're going to see this Lord of glory dying on a cross. And if you don't keep the glimpse of this glory in front of you, you're going to freak out. Well, guess what? They freaked out before they ever got to the cross. Peter denied him. All the other disciples fled. John was the only disciple that stood there with Mary by the cross as he was dying. He wanted to give them that glimpse of his power and presence to encourage them, but it didn't take root. When God works in unbelievable ways in our lives and in the lives of others, and when we hear testimonies about how God has worked and performed miracles and stuff, it's to be an encouragement to us. That he is the God who is still at work and wants to work in our lives. I want us to see also before we leave chapter 13 tonight, the pattern that God follows. Verse 24 and 25 contain all we know of Samson's childhood. The Bible basically said, Manoah's wife gave birth to a son, named him Samson. The child grew and the Lord empowered him. The Lord's spirit began to control him. That's it. Chapter 14, which we're going to look at next week, opens with a grown Samson taking off to obtain a wife. There are only two verses relating in any way to his childhood. Obviously, the author is not interested in giving us a full biography, or he wouldn't have omitted all the details of Samson's childhood. Just as obviously he thinks Samson's birth story is very important, or he wouldn't have devoted such attention to it. Can you think of somebody else in the Bible where there are chapters devoted to his nativity and his birth, but we have just a few verses about his childhood? Yeah, I think his name was Jesus. 
There's a pattern here. Why does God use this pattern throughout the Bible? Why would God single out Samson's nativity and make such a point of it? Why would he single out Jesus's birth and spend so much time in the New Testament, in the Gospels, talking about the details of his birth and not giving us hardly anything about his childhood growing up? Because he wants to show us that, at least in these cases, and this is not the only reason he does it, but here's one reason why. That God did not merely raise up a deliverer who was, as it were, already available. Rather, he grew one from scratch. It's crucial that we see this. So that we don't get the impression that God's deliverance is always this improvised, impromptu, band-aid affair. A piece of divine crisis management. Instead of a plan that God has had in view far in advance. That's why it staggers us. And should strengthen us when we read in the Bible that the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was something that God planned before the foundation of the world. It wasn't some afterthought. Your salvation and my salvation wasn't something that God just, oh my goodness, something's happened, i got to throw this together. It was something that he had planned even before the foundation of the world. Why should this pattern encourage us? Because maybe right now, like Israel, both in the days of the coming of Jesus and in the days of the coming of Samson, there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of yuck. And we can look around at the world and the circumstances and all that and go, where is God? If there is a God, why isn't he working? Why isn't he manifesting himself? God would say to us throughout the Bible and throughout history, I always am at work. You may not physically see it, but you have to, again, by faith, believe that I am a God who is always at work. I'm always involved doing something, and and the deliverance and, and the work that I'm doing in your life is not something that I just throw together at the last minute. As God, I figured this out a long time ago and you are not some divine experiment that God just sort of plays around with but that God cares about you so much that the things that he wants to bring into your lives to strengthen you and and grow you and mature you are things that he thought about even before the foundation of the world just like the sending of Jesus Christ. Now, we all know that where we struggle is that sometimes the manifestation of his deliverance doesn't come to way after our timeline. You know, we're like, God, you should have showed up yesterday. But see, God's not up there wringing his hands, freaking out as if he doesn't know how this is all going to... He knows exactly what he's doing. He's just asking us, are we willing to trust him? in what he's doing, and even in the timing of what he's doing, realizing once again, if we read and study our Bible, this is a pattern that God uses. God is not just going to throw a band-aid on something. If we have something truly in our life that needs, a life that needs worked out, 
unlike us or like others, God's just not going to try to work on the surface. God's going to try to get to the very root of the issue and deliver us from the very root of it so that it doesn't come back and continue to haunt us the rest of our life. Because God's deliverance is total deliverance. Not just a band-aid. We just many times in our life where we go wrong is we just want relief. And it's not that God doesn't want to give his children relief because we see that throughout the Bible and even here in the book of Judges. Many times he heard their cries and just wanted to give them relief. But many times he has much higher purposes in mind. Again, we've just got to have our faith kick in and realize that nobody here tonight is obscure or an afterthought with God. Your life means more to God than you and I will ever know. And God thought enough about you and loved you enough that even before the foundation of the world, thousands of years before we were ever born, God was going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to earth so that we could have a relationship with him. And what difficult circumstances you may be going through now. You may be looking around and saying, God, where are you? When are you going to show up? You and I have to keep trusting, knowing It's not like God's just throwing something together at the last minute. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God will show up at just the right time. And if God hasn't shown up yet, it's only because he's got a higher purpose and a greater purpose in mind. Remember, God prefaces his great works with great difficulties. Remember, the parents of Samson an obscure woman in a little village in Israel who was barren, could not have children. It was in the midst of her obscurity and her sterility that God brought something out of nothing and did the impossible. And God may be doing that in your life and getting ready to in your life, even maybe tonight. Before we leave chapter 13, just a few other thoughts hopefully to encourage you. I go back a long way in my mind to my high school graduation. It's a long way because I know most of you would never guess this, but my 30-year high school reunion's coming up this year. I know. Most of you are like, 30 years? I can't believe you would be about a high school for 30 years. 30 years. When I was in high school and even after... There were two people every year that I felt sorry for in high school. And yet for most people, they were usually some of the most popular. They were the ones that were voted each year in our school, back in Maryland, the most likely to succeed. The reason I felt sorry for them is even back then, I always felt like that's a big burden to carry. I mean, potential... Is one of the biggest burdens anybody can carry through life. And I mean, get it. You've been voted most likely to succeed by your whole high school class. What happens in 5, 10, 15, 20 years when you come back and you've made nothing of yourself? Oh, look at you. You were supposed to be the one that succeeded. Yeah. Well, the reason I say that is because if you ever read the Bible and you came across the Bible character that would have been a great candidate for the most likely to succeed... It might have been Samson. 
Consider what we know about him from this chapter. One, his birth was announced by the angel of the Lord, God himself. Two, he was set apart to God as a Nazarite from birth. Three, his mission in life was chosen by God to begin to deliver his people. Four, he was raised in a godly home by parents who wanted to cooperate with God. Five, he was blessed by God as a young child. And six, he was empowered by the Spirit of God. What more could he ask for? But to jump ahead for a few weeks, it's not how we begin, but how we end that makes the difference. Samson had a great beginning. But let's be reminded tonight as we begin our study of Samson in the book of Judges, just how he ended. Enslaved, his eyes put out, his head shaved, bound with shackles, grinding corn like an ox, and made to perform like a circus animal. Not a very good ending after such a great beginning. Now, that truth cuts both ways. Because some of you in this room have shared with me, Jeff, I hadn't had a very good beginning to life. And I didn't really get started very well in this whole walking with God Christian life thing. I want to encourage you tonight. The important thing with God is not how we start but how we end. And even tonight, even tonight, tonight can be the beginning of the rest of your life. You can make a fresh start tonight. And even though you may have not started well, totally opposite of Samson, you and I still have the opportunity to end really well. And when all is said and done, It's more important to end well with God than it is to begin well with God. It'd be great if we could begin with God and end with God. But if you didn't have that great beginning like Samson, don't be discouraged. Don't pine over the lost time and lost years that you could have done this and you could have done that. Don't live in the past. Don't let your spiritual enemy do that. Be like the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians said, I'm forgetting what's behind me. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm just concentrating on ending well. Ending well in Christ. In Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a peace that can never be understood a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, and a spiritual resource that can never be exhausted. We have everything from God to end well. (laughs) Folks, next week... Judges 14, we're going to talk about secrets. Hope you'll come back. Let's close in prayer. God, there's so much in chapter 13 that, Lord, I'm just praying and I, I know that your Holy Spirit will take all of this. And again, as I prayed at the very beginning of our time together tonight, you know what each one here needs 
you know where we're at. You know what we need to hear. You know what's going to encourage us to keep on keeping on. So God, I just pray that you take all that stuff that I shared tonight and that you would use it for your glory and honor in the lives of these precious folks. And God, I just pray that each one of these folks here tonight, hundreds who come out on Tuesday night, would just be reminded of not only how precious they are to you, but how precious and encouraging they are to me. God, if they only knew that their presence here on Tuesday night and and to hear, you know, Jeff, we really missed it and couldn't wait to get back and all of that, Lord, just how that fills my heart and, and encourages me to get into my study every week and to spend hours upon hours studying so that I can share your word with these folks. God, keep me learning and growing and stretching me so that I can come into this place and to the small churches on Sunday morning, to the women's Bible study on Wednesday morning. And God, that I could just share your word so that we can all be encouraged and grow in our understanding of you. And God, use this mine here at Cornerstone to raise up a group of people who just continue to just go after you in an unusual way. To be an example to others. And God, even as we end in prayer tonight, remind all of us as Christians who've maybe prayed to you thousands of times throughout our life, and it's become routine, that maybe it's not routine right now. That I've got to recapture the wonder of prayer and the wonder that the God of the universe is listening to me right now. And he listens to everyone here. There is no obscurity with God. And God, may we treat prayer in such a great way and realize the privilege that we have to talk to you, to pour out our hearts to you. And God, just remind us throughout this week, if these folks are going through very deep waters, very difficult times in their life, that you are a God who specializes in the impossible. That the obstacles and the difficulties don't matter to you. It is a way for the Almighty God to manifest His almightiness. And if there's those of us here who are at this moment not going through deep waters, hopefully we can be an encouragement to those who are. That we can put into practice what we are learning on Sunday about spurring others on and and, and being the body of Christ to our brothers and sisters and even to those that don't know Christ yet. And that we can give them hope. And that we can not only have courage, but be an encourager as well. God, thank you. Thank you already for what you are doing and what you will do. And remind us, Lord, that even when we can't see it, you're always at work. Our lives and what we're going through is not some afterthought to you. But you are working your plan, your purpose, your way 
weaving it through our lives to make us all that you created us to be. One life, Lord. Help us to live it before our audience of one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week. See you next week.